If you take your Bibles and turn, we're going to start. We're in a series. If you're new or visiting, we're in Second Thessalonians. We just did uh, the series on First Thessalonians before Easter. So if you want to go and get caught up on that, you can do that and get um, uh, look at what was covered there. But um, right now we're in Second Thessalonians and we're starting with verse 5. And it reads like this. See it up on the screen as well. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Now we looked at, this is the second passage. Um, just to go back, Paul has Written, wrote to First Thessalonians, they were undergoing persecution, they were discouraged, they were afraid they'd gotten a bunch of stuff wrong, and thus they kind of got all out of whack. And so he wrote First Thessalonians. Usually when you think you write it, it's going to go better. No, it went worse. And so they had to rewrite. Uh, he had to write Second Thessalonians just weeks after to kind of keep them course corrected. And um, Paul is now adding some insights off of First Thessalonians, that return of the Lord passage. He's adding some extra insights to it from uh, this passage here. And the issue is that what he adds um, ups the ante for both the believer and the non-believer. We're gonna, you'll see that this morning. And, um, and the consequences for both are intense. So let's uh, seek the Lord in prayer before we start. Father, as we come before you this morning, um, we recognize that... Uh, Lots in our world is happening, lots changing, lots we can't control. And uh, Lord, we, the hope we have in you needs to be locked uh, front and central in our minds and our hearts and uh, having that kind of first love in place. And we're going to look at um, the division that occurs uh, over that hope and we're going to wrestle with it this morning. And I pray that you will help us process where we are, where we know others are, and we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. Let's just do a quick kind of go back to the Thessalonian context just so we can have it. So they were discouraged, um, deeply so. Uh, the persecutions had grown worse. You know how you go through something and you think you'll get over it and it'll just get better and then it doesn't, it gets worse, right? Uh, that's where they were. And uh, if you can relate to that kind of pressure, uh, that's what they were up. It was hard to have hope, right? We sing forever hope in my heart. It's funny how you can have that hope on Sunday and it can be gone completely by Monday morning, right? You know, all that out thing. So that's, they were really wrestling with that. Paul was uh, trying to encourage those who were suffering for the kingdom of God. What he was saying is, look, I know this is hard, but this is going to be worth it. You will be made worthy because of the sufferings that you have suffered. And, uh, and so he's trying to build them up and encouraging them to hang in there. And his encouragement is that God would repay. That those who had caused trouble, that those who had afflicted them, God would repay them with affliction. We'll look at that a little bit more uh, later in the message. And then the fourth is that God would grant relief. But the key phrase here is when that relief would be granted. It wasn't going to be an immediate relief. It would be granted when the Lord Jesus returned. Now, remember from their mindset, they were thinking that could be any day. So they weren't thinking, oh, 2,000 years later, hey, this will roll out. 
right? That would have been a little surprising for them, I think. They were thinking that at any moment this could happen, so we just have to keep hanging in there and it'll turn. So what needs to be emphasized in this progression is that God promises to make it right with them, with us. But the promise is located in Christ's return and not in our present circumstances. Now let me qualify that a little bit because you all start freaking out. All right? But this does not mean God will not help us in our present circumstances. He often does. You've had him help you many times. You've seen his hand in your present circumstances. But you will probably also admit all the things that need to be changed haven't changed. All the things that need to be fixed haven't been fixed yet. And that's because they will be fixed uh, when he comes back. Justice, true justice, will not be obtained until the return of Christ, where God promises to afflict those who afflict us. And there's an intensity to that. Um, We'll look at that in just a second. Stop and, and think about that. What does that look like for us in the present? Well, if you... Jump from the Thessalonican context to our context. The persecution of Christians is growing worse. The emphasis we've been placing is the need for steadfastness. Um, Certainly we aren't facing what other uh, cultures are facing. All of uh, Boko Haram and ISIS, their main target is to take out Christians. Uh, That isn't reported very well in our press, but uh, Boko Haram has said that their goal is to be like ISIS and to take out Christians. And so uh, all the attacks you hear in Africa, those were on on Christian villages, and over 60 churches have been tortured since then. There is an intense animosity uh, towards the Christians there. There's an intense animosity uh, for the Christians in the Middle East. Many who have been Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, they're in people groups, have been eliminated. We don't even know about it. They've just gone through cities and just uh, annihilated them and kind of a genocide and it's not even being reported so that that is uh, something that we hope doesn't come our way but probably should be ready when it does and therefore the need for steadfastness the other thing there's a larger um, discussion going on with paul and the thessalonians and what he's you can hear in the other writings is he's encouraging them not to take things into their own hands and i think you would understand because boy isn't it tempting to you spit in my eye, I'll spit in yours, Jack, right? I'll, I'll turn the cheek so far, and then I'm not turning anymore. And I, I, I'll, if God isn't going to level the playing field, I will, right? And if you've never felt that intensely, you're not really alive, okay? Because payback uh, is a big thing in our culture right now. Paul in Romans 12, he later amplifies this idea because we're... Uh, encouraged not to take revenge and to love our enemies, which is not the easiest thing to do. In, in Romans 12, Paul writes it this way, starting with verse 14. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now what he's pushing on there is the tendency, okay, even if I don't retaliate, I'll curse you. Right? And why he's um, leveraging that so hard with the turn the other cheek, bless, is because he knows the dangerness of what happens to our heart when bitterness grabs us. Uh, Hebrews warns us that if bitterness grabs our soul, it stains a whole lot of people around us. And I think we know what this is like when something grabs us, right? Something gets in our craw. You ever gotten there where you go, all right, sucker, right? And you know the Holy Spirit's told you to let it go, and you go, 
Yeah, in five minutes. Five hours. Five years. Fifty years. I'm never... You're going to... Right? And you're just going to anchor that in your heart and, and let it lodge there. And what happens is we become incredibly hardened up. We get just jacked sideways. And what we don't realize is all the spiritual things that just start going out the window because now... What's changed is not the circumstances. What's changed is us because of bitterness. We have locked on. And Paul, understanding that, knows that that will wipe the Romans out. At church in Rome, he knows that will wipe out the Thessalonians, and he knows it will wipe us out. And so he's encouraging us to not (coughs) curse. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Did that this week. Live in harmony with one another. That's not easy to do. Right? Even reduce that down to our marriages, reduce that to our homes, our church, our neighborhoods. It's not that easy. Do not be haughty or full of yourself, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's hard to do too, right? I'm the wisest person you know, and you should be glad you know me. Right? I didn't mean that actually. I meant that metaphorically. (laughs) Don't look at it. Yeah. Right? Kind of... Kind of, right? Because we, we, we think we've got the take on it. But then he goes on, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. That actually is, incidentally, in the pastorate, one of the hardest things to do because uh, behind the scenes, you get a lot of stuff dumped on your table. And you can't react to it. You, you've got to think of what's an honorable response for what just got thrown my way. And, uh, you know, teaching is very similar. I'm looking at Bob, where it's just really easy to reduce yourself down to the lowest common denominator. And God is saying, no, stay up here. Don't sink. Stay up. It's not that easy of a thing to do. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It doesn't say you'll live in peace with everybody, but as far as you can make it happen, make it happen. But then verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this is an extrapolation off of what Paul originally wrote in Second Thessalonians here. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so part of the discussion with the Thessalonians is, look, what's happened to you isn't great and it's been very painful and I know the tendency to cave into bitterness and I know the tendency to retaliate. Don't do that. What will get lost is you, not them. You'll just drop to their level. You've got to not react that way. And then also in our context, the same hope that was held out for them is also held out for us. The very same things that Paul was saying to the Thessalonian church play out for us today in 2015. So let's go back. What I want to do, we have two accounts here of the return of the Lord. We have the account from 1 Thessalonians, and then we have the account from 2 Thessalonians. So I want to look at both of them and start to begin to contrast them this morning. And we will keep going with this as we um, continue in the messages Uh, Because next week Paul starts chapter 2 and he starts to describe the person that we have now come to know as the Antichrist. And so you'll see this stuff laid out. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. 
Uh, starting with verse 13, it reads this way. This is the first account he wrote to the Thessalonian church. It says, But we want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as other, others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What had happened was people they loved, people they cared about, had died. They didn't have that category. They thought they would all be alive and the Lord would come back and get them. So they got knocked off their base, so to speak. They now weren't sure, did they believe wrong? Had they got the timing wrong? Why did this go sideways? And they were all upended by that. And so Paul's writing this to help them get back on their base again. Even so, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep, i.e. those who have died previously, For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, that we all, everybody reading that always thinks that's them, right? We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When we covered this the first time, remember I introduced it and I said about this that it was the most debated, reviled, loved, mocked, hoped for, anticipated, resisted, feared, and investigated topic in the history of the world. A lot of you went, why? You know, I didn't understand it either when I was first a believer. When I first came to know the Lord, I, you know, I had done life. I'd done a bunch of wrong things and done some, a lot of sin and came to Christ in a crash, boom, thunder, lightning conversion story. And when I first came, I was like, woohoo, this is awesome, right? Light it up. And I'm just like, this is, and I'm telling everybody about it. And I, uh, I never anticipated running into a negative reaction let alone a hostile reaction. Because I thought, how could anybody respond hostily to this? This is so fantastic. Look what's happened in my life. And I remember going to a, a wedding, and I had a high school teacher there who was uh, major antagonistic to the gospel. And he went off on me right in the middle of 50 people um, and just kind of backed me into the clothes rack. I mean, just a very intense guy. I mean, and... Uh, and I was just like blown away. I had no category. I was just numb, you know, and I, I was like, I don't think this should be happening here, you know, and I'm trying to think, how do I get out of this? And, and I walked away from there totally shook. Shook, one, that, that it happened, but shook, two, like, why are, why are people so hostile? That's crazy. I, this is the best news in the world. Why would somebody be so antagonistic towards it? Right. Well, I now realize why, because this sets us up. I said before that what this forces is the greatest divide ever known in history. I have shared before I grew up in the Midwest in Green Bay. When I was a kid, we had big snow and we had these massive snow plows. Okay, like, you know, cement weights on the back of the truck, like a city block big and two huge blades that came in a V and they had massive diesel engines. You could hear them fire up from like a mile away. And when we had big snows, those things would fire up and you could hear them rumble down the roads and they would come and they would just go right down the middle of the road. And literally snow went left, snow went right. Nothing sat in the middle of the road. 
Okay? Uh, there was no room, there was no margin to sit in the middle of the road. And what I've said before is that Jesus is the greatest snowplow in history. Everything's either going to go left or it's going to go right. Nothing stays in the middle. And right now, a lot of us are shook because we're seeing the middle evaporate. And I've started to realize on a completely different level, it's Jesus creating the evaporation of the middle. I hadn't thought about that before. I always thought it was just sin doing that. Um, And so it depends which side you're on. If you're on one side, it's called the great rescue. That's from a believer's perspective. But if you're on the other side, it's called the ultimate imperialistic hostile takeover. Right? That would be from a non-believer. I don't want your snowplow. Get off my road. It's the world's greatest nightmare. It's the Christian's greatest expectation. So these things are juxtaposed to each other, and they are in conflict with each other, and so therefore we can't do what we want. I said it's absolutely simple idea. Simple idea is Jesus rose and that Jesus left, Jesus is going to come back. How hard is that? Right? Two-year-old can get that figured out. That's not hard. But it's also the most complicated layer event in the universe. Now, if that's true about this account, this is the account in 1 Thessalonians 1, or 1 Thessalonians 4, I mean, if, that, if that's true of the first account, then it's triply true of the second account found in 2 Thessalonians. This second account only magnifies what's at stake in terms of both claims for the believer and the non-believer and their, and, and their respective and ultimate destinies. What are you talking about, Steve? Well, let's take a look at it together. This is how this account begins. It says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, God assumes that he has the right to judge. He's assuming that as he lays it out, it's righteous. The evidence, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, now I deliberately paused it there. One reason is I ran out of room on the slide, right? But the other reason is the perfect spot. Why? What happens when Jesus is revealed from heaven? What takes place? What's going to show up? Well, here's what happens. If you look at it, it says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. It's cool we live today because we don't have to imagine this. Spielberg and Lucas have set us up well to imagine what that would look like, right? We've got, it, we've got a picture in our minds. With his mighty angels and flaming fire. But what do those mighty angels of flaming fire do? It says, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment, some of the scariest verses in the Bible, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Let's go through that a little bit and and comb through that and pick a couple things out. First of all, it says that God considers it, if we go back to the first part, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. In other words, those who go after the church, those who go after Christians, are facing an ultimate judgment. 
that the very same kind of affliction they afflicted the church with, God will afflict them with. That's not good news. I mean, just think about the sin you've done in your life, right? We can look at other people, but just think of what you've done. Isn't hard for me to recount what I've done. What kind of justice would I be facing if I'm outside of Christ? Right? Right now I stand in Christ like you do. I'm washed in Christ. My sins are forgiven. I will not have to pay for those because Jesus paid for those. But if that were not true, what judgment would I be facing if I weren't covered by the blood of Christ? The prospect's terrifying. Right? I was not a good guy. I do not like what I read and understanding where I stand. It feels like a bullet just went past my head and I'm going, wow. Alright? But God thinks it's his role, assumes it's his role to extend justice in the universe, and he's going to. Then it says Jesus will return with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And and this picture is one of awesomeness, one of um, irresistible force. I said this in first service, and this might be a good thing if you... Because we're going to go, okay, angels of fire, yeah, cute, you know, okay. No, 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 no. Um, if you want to watch the potential of fire, go on YouTube and look up forest fires. Look up crowning forest fires. Look up fires, especially ones in California that when the Santa Ana winds come up in the, in the valleys. And watch what the power of those kind of fires do. If you've ever seen a crowning forest fire, it's unbelievable it leaps at the speed of 200 miles an hour from tree to tree to tree and just torches everything in its path. We're talking about that kind of presence coming in, with these angels. This is an overwhelming, consuming um, type of thing. Vengeance, it says, will be dispersed to two groups. There's two groups. One, those who do not know God. There are many who do not know God. Um, scripture says that not all non-believers will suffer the same punishment. Romans 2 says that um, there will be different stripes and different levels for how people have responded or not responded to God. God assumes he will handle that justly and fairly. But there's a second category. That is those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. See that up there? That's a particularly unique category. That category is talking about the people, uh, in this case, would have been known as the Judaizers, who... um, were opposing Paul, right? And they were the ones going against Paul. And this had to be an incredibly painful thing for Paul because every time that happened, what did Paul see? Himself. He himself was once a persecutor of the church. So he would see, right? Every time he would look and go, oh, crud, that's me. Imagine that, just what that would look like. So he has to contend with those who remind him of himself every time, right? It's kind of a painful deal. But in this, he's trying to not people who don't know the gospel or people don't know about Jesus or don't know. It's the ones who don't obey. And that's why in this church, you don't hear a lot of acceptance talk from me. You should accept Jesus um, as if Jesus is up in heaven lonely and he's, he's just got no friends and I mean, gee, Walt, if you just accept him, he'd have a buddy, you know, and just, it would just be so... We're not talking about that. If you mean acceptance, I accept his rule, I accept his authority, then acceptance works. But what you hear a lot more at Northview is surrender. 
Really, if you boil sin down, what's sin down is an authority issue. We have a problem with authority. We don't like it. We don't like people to tell us what to do. I don't like people to tell me what to do. Ask my wife. Okay? She will be very honest with that. I'm a stubborn Midwest farm boy. Don't be telling me what to do. I know what to do. Right? I do not like it. And so, But that, that boils out in all kinds of different ways in terms of our authority issue. And when it comes to this, it's, it's, Paul's talking about those who know the gospel, know about God, but they don't obey the gospel. It's an obedience issue. Do I come under his authority? And is he the Lord and do I obey? Or do I oppose him? And so Paul says uh, that group comes under particular ire um, in this um, equation here. The description of it is hard to put in words, but quite frightening. It says they will suffer, look up a screen or any word, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. If you go through all the Greek and look at all that language and all the, the connections to the Old Testament, all the Jews... Uh, it is a, a frightening picture. This is the place that we would call hell. Right? Uh, interestingly enough today, for a culture that says there is no hell, one of the first ways they curse people is what? Go to hell. How can you curse somebody to go where you don't believe in? Funny how that stays on our lips, but hell is not a good place. Hell is not. It is seen, you know, people say, well, all the stuff about furnace and fires, that's all metaphor. I'm going, well, that's not good. If that's the metaphor for the reality, yuck, hello, McFly, wake up. That's not better, All right? But it's talking about this place here where it says that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Now, what does that eternal destruction look like? If you look at up in the passage here again, it says that Eternal destruction will be being away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In other words, in the final judgment, they will see God in all his splendor. They will see God in all his glory. We will see God in all his splendor and glory. And we'll be going, whoa! And there'll be two completely different reactions to it. One will be to give God the finger and to shake the fist. Don't act like you don't know what that is. Don't I've seen you drive down the highway, I know. <laughs> Some of you didn't know that was me you were flipping off, did you? Ah. Right? If the issue is, it's a separation from God, and so people rail and rant, and they're going to be separated from, and it says away from the mind, they will never be in His presence again. It is a terrifying thing when you've been in absolute wonderful presence and then you, some of you could relate this. You ever had a best friend you absolutely reveled in and then they were gone? No longer your friend or they died and you no longer have that best friend and you just long and you're, they're going to be completely separated from the presence of God. Glory to me. Um, if you look in Revelation 19, uh, John later coins uh, another picture that parallels this picture of Paul in verse 11, he says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. In other words, there's a veil shrouding Jesus right now. It says there's a veil that we can't see, but one day that veil is going to be torn in two, just like the veil in the temple was torn in two, and Jesus will be revealed. It sounds hard to us. It's not hard to him. And one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness 
He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. There's that picture of fire again. And on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And here's the description. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That's that iron scepter we talked about earlier. And then it says this, He will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. It's one of the most frightening verses that exists in the Bible. There will come payday, judgment time. No one will escape. And God, it will be orchestrated according to God's decrees and God's judgments and God's righteousness, not by ours. And that causes absolute joy for some and absolute terror for others. On his robe and on his thigh is the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want to suggest these are absolutely frightful and terrifying images if one is not in Christ. Now, opposed to this, if you're on the other side of the coin, this is the greatest event in the history of the universe. For believers, look at what it says up there. Jesus will be glorified. And, and what does it say? Who will he, where will he be glorified? In his saints. In other words, God is going to be glorified in his people. And what will be the response of his people? Oh, yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's not a bad light show. Pretty good. Right? Is that how it? No, what does it say? Even the believers will be stunned with awe. It says they will marvel at his coming. That is an absolutely impressive description. He will be marveled among all who have believed. And Paul is saying this to the Thessalonians because they believe. He said, you don't know the whole picture yet. It isn't all played out. God hasn't played all his cards. By the way, remember that church. The world's playing its hand in its deck right now. God hasn't played all his cards. There's a whole lot left that he hasn't told us about. This uh, picture of God as judge is all over the place. Um, just this week I was in my quiet time. I'm reading through. Um, a lot of you are following me, uh, just reading you know, Genesis to Revelation. I'm in Psalms right now. And um, this uh, passage came up. It says, Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. There's that picture of that fire. Uh, around him a mighty tempest. This tempest word is... The word of, uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament were pictures of flames of fire, right? So like, um, remember Gideon when he offered his offering and the fire came down and licked up the offering and the wood and the stones and everything. And also uh, Elijah when he uh, contended with the 400 prophets of Baal and they dumped all that water on to soak it. And then it says the fire of heaven came down and it licked up even the water out of the trench and then probably the key place is when uh, Elijah was taken up into heaven. It says the fiery chariots of God came down and swept him up. Elijah and Enoch, the only two who never died, right? Translated directly to heaven. It says a fiery chariot. It's this picture of a tempest, a whirlwind of fire coming through and sweeping up. That's this, this picture right here in Psalms. It says, devouring fire and around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. 
Gather to me my faithful ones who make a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. And then at the end of that, there's that little word, Selah. Selah means pause, consider, stop. I actually used this word uh, at the funeral this week when we were at the graveside, and I was reading out of uh, 2 Corinthians, and I said, uh, uh, Selah, pause, consider. We all know that little Natalie's house got torn down pretty quickly, right? But it was true that ours will be too. And a gravesite is a time to stop and reflect and reflect where you are with God and where are you in terms of his presence and to pause, measure, it means. This verse is saying measure the idea that God is the judge and he will come with a fiery tempest in judgment. Weigh that. And so the key question on the table this morning is this. Does God have a right to judge? Does he have a right to judge? Um, Paul says here's the evidence that he has a right to. He considers it just to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus and that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. What you'll hear today is my God is a God of love, and he won't send anybody to hell. My God will judge nobody. He loves everybody. Well, there is truth that God loves everybody. That's only half the truth, though. Right? The attitude on the table today is kind of, how dare he? Who does he think he is? And I understand it. I I get it. It makes sense to me. If it were me and I were still in the camp of not knowing the Lord, I would do everything in my power to stamp out the message and the messengers. And that's why the Bible says we should never be surprised if we come under persecution. Because there is a reason they're reacting. There's a re- they have to. Okay? Those opposed to Christ know very well that what they are up against and had, and know what they've done, and they will do everything in their power to stop it. Now, interestingly enough, um, you know, one of the options on the table is this idea of a rapture, and some people are really for that, some people are really against it. But the world really doesn't mind that idea. And here's why. Good. We hope that happens. You're going, well, you're a non-believer. Why would you be glad that that would happen? Fine. If you want to take all those who are yours, we'll let you. You can have them. They are a pain in our backside anyways. They're stopping our evolutionary progress to the light. And um, the sooner you get rid of them, the better it is. So if you want to clean shop and just get rid of those people, ha, we would applaud that. That's fantastic. The sooner you clean it out, the better it is. You're actually doing us a favor. But there's a caveat to that. Just don't think for a minute that you're welcome to come and assert your authority down here. This is ours. Mother Earth, this is ours. That's not yours. You have no right to come on this turf or this territory. Take your scepter of iron elsewhere. It's a big room. It's a big universe. There's lots of room. That shouldn't be too hard to do. Why don't you just go and take your scepter and go play in the sandbox somewhere? Go grab a galaxy and solar system and have some fun. Just leave us alone. We're fine. Be a nice little God. This is ours. The 
Accusation has actually gone deeper now in our culture, if you're not aware of it. The attack is no longer against the church. We deserve that. We're idiots. We've shot our foot, shot ourselves in the foot a hundred million times and we look absolutely ridiculous. So that part you can understand. But the attacks are now against God himself. You have no right to judge. What they're saying is, besides this, you're crooked. You're arbitrary. You're a bully yourself and we won't stand for it. There can't be only one way. How imperialistic is that? We won't accept that. There are many ways and there are lots of avenues and that's the way it is because we say so. Right? You have no right to judge us and we won't let you. Now, can you see the need for us why we need to pray? One of the things Jesus said when he comes back in the end times, will he find any faith? And what he's saying is anybody still believing that this is real and anybody praying for people who don't yet know him. We uh, have the National Day of Prayer coming and uh, and there's a sign up out there and uh, asking you to take a 20-minute slot, just 20-minute slot. If we all took a 20-minute slot, we would cover that uh, 24 hours in prayer, sometimes triple time uh, through that 24 hours of prayer. That makes a difference. I was talking about Dave Gamber comes in the morning and prays. And he was saying in Colorado right now, there's a company that's actually leaving Denver uh, because they can't, their employees don't come to work uh, sober. They come to work stoned. And they can't get employees who aren't stoned. Right now, right in uh, Clearview in Snohomish, there's a major um, decision coming May 4th and 5th on the marijuana medical dispensaries underline medical there, right? And the issue of the impact the flourish of the pot industry is having on our uh, communities to the point where you cannot walk down your street in summer now without smelling marijuana. Do you think that's not going to have an impact in our area? Do you think that's not going to have uh, effect with crime or all the fallout and uh, people not taking care of their jobs and that kind of stuff? It's going to have a tremendous effect. So what they're asking for prayer for is they're saying there's two, um, two councilmen that are uh, set to do something about it, but they don't have enough councilmen to vote to turn it down, uh, to go negative against it so that they could be shut down. And they're asking that we would pray that that would gain God's favor and it would do that. I think that's worth praying. I think this is the great time for the church to pray. It's, the Bible says, come to him at a time that he can be reached because when the floodwaters come, it's too late. Now is the time. We've got a window. We've got, and we as a people should be motivated to pray. We'll come back to this next week. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, wrestle with this, these ideas are bigger than us and they're more powerful than us and we can't control them. And some would say it would be hate speech just to even bring up the ideas we brought up today. Lord, it is your word, and we honor it as your word, and we will stand on it as your word, come what may. Help us, Lord, in the, give us the grace required for the time of life, the time of history you've called us to be in. And we ask for that, that you would um, help us adjust to your kingdom and line up with you, and we seek this in your name. Amen.